1: Hi there. Welcome to New Books in East Asian Studies. I'm your host, Carla Nappi. I just finished talking with Cosima Bruno about her brand new book that just came out with Brill Publishers, Between the Lines, Young Lian's Poetry Through Translation. And that was released in 2012. Now, this is a book that um, is approachable and useful and interesting, even if you don't work on China or Chinese poetry or contemporary poetry at all. On one level, the book is trying to, and I think quite successfully um, accomplishes this, um, trying to provide a way of thinking about and practicing translation as reading and reading as translation in a way that's quite different from the methodology that uh, some of us may typically think of when we think about translation. And that is, I have a text in a foreign language, I have some dictionaries, I'm going to sort of use one to try to render the other um, in another language and there you have it. I mean her methodology is very different in that she's rather than creating this relationship between the dictionary and the foreign language poem. She's creating a space by juxtaposing multiple translations of a poem with the with the poem itself and seeing what reading across these different renderings of the poem can tell us about the poem itself. And so it's really not just about translation as much as it is about changing the way we think about the relationship between reading and translation. Okay, so there's this methodological component of the book that's very important. In addition to that, it also serves as an analysis of, an exploration of, an introduction to the work of a very important Chinese poet, Yang Lian. Um, Yang Lian's poetry has gotten many awards. Um, one of the recent awards that it was given was the Nonino Prize, um, which I particularly like because that's a grappa company. Um, so, and I'm a particular fan of grappa. So, yay, grappa industry for recognizing the importance of contemporary Chinese poetry. Two loves brought together in the same place. But I digress. Young Land's poetry. Um, Very interesting, very important. And Bruno's book not only gives us this really interesting way of thinking about translation, but also gives us in a series of um, material in the appendix in many of the chapters, gives us a way into Young Land's poetry. And not just as a written text, but also as a a kind of a performance, as something that we can appreciate visually and orally, etc. So it's a really interesting book. Um, It was really interesting to talk with Cosima about it and I hope you enjoy! Hello, Cosima. Hi, Carla. How are you? Great. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us today. And for listeners, um, where we are right now is certainly on Skype, but we're here at New Books in East Asian Studies to talk with Cosima Bruno about her new book, her really innovative and I I think very engaging new book, Between the Lines, Young Lian's Poetry Through Translation. Welcome to New Books in East Asian Studies, and thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. Thank you. So this is a book um, for our listeners that's that does at least a couple of different things at the same time. It's both uh, a study that is a kind of literary criticism of the work of a poet, and um, we'll we'll get to um, who that poet is and what makes his work so interesting in a moment, but it's also a contribution and a kind of theoretical and practical intervention into translation studies. So this is a book that's of interest um, both to readers who are just interested in modern and contemporary poetry, interested in Chinese literature, but it's also of interest to readers um, and to listeners right now. I hope who are interested more broadly in reading and in translation and in the relationship between the two. So um, as we, uh, or before we get into the actual um, content of the book itself and work our way through, Cosima, could you start us off by saying a little bit about yourself? Uh, What brought you into this field and what's your particular uh, background that brought you to the field of uh, poetry and poetry translation in China?
0: uh sure um mm, i first studied chinese language and literature um at um a university of venice uh my choice of course is uh focused on uh modern chinese literature and uh, even my uh, ba dissertation was on the translation and critical analysis of two uh contemporary short stories uh but I think that I should probably place the beginning of my interest into this uh, um, field uh, a little bit later, um, say uh, towards the end of the 1990s. Um, at that time, uh, I was living in Milan and uh, working as a, an interpreter and a translator from Chinese into Italian. And one Day. Um, I was introduced to um, uh, Gianni Scalia, a, a really an, a, an extraordinary intellectual an Italianist who is also uh, uh, the editor of the um, beautiful journal Informa di Parole. Um, so he told me that he, he wanted to dedicate an issue of this journal um, to contemporary writing from China. And, um, and so he, he quite casually proposed me to uh, contribute with translation of contemporary Chinese poems of my choice. And I, I, I straight away I gladly accepted without hesitation because... Um, I liked this journal uh, with with its beautiful title and and I I liked uh, uh, literature and so I I started collaborating on this issue uh, that was edited by uh, Claudia Bozzana and Alessandro Russo. So in in order to make a selection uh, I first uh, researched, read a lot of poems in Chinese then I started to um, select according to my taste but also, um, I tried to give to the Italian readership a, a sample of the uh, rich variety of styles that, that uh, I could find in, in contemporary Chinese poetry. Um, so it was a very exciting time for me and uh, um, um, from time to time I was meeting up with the other translators and uh, uh, who were collaborating to this project and we d- were discussing freely but, but very very passionately, I would say, about poetry, translation, and contemporary Chinese literature, uh, politics, and so on and so forth. So uh, when I started to translate, each of these poems sort of exposed me to a complex experience. So it was like each poem became, became tridimensional so uh, uh, even with a a visual artist I I knew for example we we were thinking to combining some of this translation with some more visual adaptation of the poems and so discussions were very exciting Um, ideas kept accumulating and and there was so much work involved no money at all but a lot of fun and and I kept translating um, drafting and redrafting until the deadline arrived and uh, I had to, to, to submit my work for, for this publication and so I, I selected my, my selection uh, included poems uh, by uh, Si Chuan, Oyan Zhang Yu Jian and um, uh, Chu Youyuan um, so I became almost addicted to poetry translation, uh, but at some point I felt that uh, I needed to think about it and uh, I needed to uh, measure translation. So I wanted to uh, Periment translation, yes, but as a phenomenon. But at the same time, I wanted to study it, uh, to theorize it about it, and uh, about this process, about the the relationship between original and translation, about the whole experience, really. And uh, this brought me to start a PhD at um, the the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London, and eventually to. To write this book, which is a revised version of, of my dissertation. Okay.
1: Now, the book itself, um, and I'm assuming also that this was true of the dissertation, focuses mm. on the work of a of a particular poet. This is the poet mm. um, Yang Lian. So, can you talk a little bit before we um, kind of move to the issue mm. of dissertation to book? Can you t- introduce um, Yang Lian for our listeners? And um, this is who is he? What brought you to um, work on and be interested in his work in particular. Can you say a little bit about him and how his work became central for your own?
0: Sure. Um, Yan Lian uh, is, is a very famous poet uh, who has been awarded many prizes. And uh, he, he was born in Switzerland in 1955 and, uh, while his parents were there uh, as diplomats. And, but they, they returned to China the same year of, of Yan Lian's birth. So, um, as many other intellectuals from, from his generation, uh, Yan Lian too was sent down to the countryside during the Cultural Revolution. And when he returned to Beijing uh, in the second um, half of the 1970s, uh, he uh, contributed with the freshly uh, established uh, um, uh, literary magazine Jintian, Tian, uh, which was um, um, uh, funded by Pei uh, and Mang So, um, uh, in 1988, uh, Yan Lian went to Australia and New Zealand to uh, participate to cultural events. And um, um, as you know, soon after, uh, there was the uh, 1989 massacre of June 4th, um, and he, um, because he expressed support for the protesters in Tiananmen, um, and and he, he began began what he calls a floating life as a dissident. So um, uh, while uh, at the same time also uh, um, his poem, two of his poem collections were uh, banned and destroyed. Um, he currently uh, uh, lives in London, um, although I believe this very moment might be in Germany as a poet in residence but uh, uh, he has uh, um, published widely uh, both poetry collection and essays and uh, um, um, his poetry also is usually um, considered uh, obscure and difficult to read and um, to understand because it's highly singular in in his choice of imagery and and word combinations, and uh, also in the way thoughts are processed in his poetry. It's quite quite difficult to enter, really. Um, So I choose him uh, for uh, two very simple reasons. The first one is that um, uh, simply because there were at least two translations available on some of his poems. Uh, Today uh, many more translations of this of, of his, uh, work have become available but when I started this research uh, they were more than any other Chinese poet but still not a huge amount so um, this was my main reason but uh, also a second reason was that uh, if the methodology that I uh, tried to elaborate in this book could help me understand Stand or enter uh, Yan Lian's difficult poetry. Uh, then I could probably use this methodology on pretty much any other poet's work. So, um, yeah, this is these these are mm, the reasons that brought me to um, focus on Yan Lian's uh, poetry. And is there um, before we, we move on from this? Is there? anything
1: about his poetry that particularly inspires you, or or is there anything about his poetry just as a, as a poem um, out of the context of, um, what you're doing in this book in terms of translation studies, uh, that you particularly like, or was there, so was this, was your choice of Yang Lian, uh, um, specifically about the function of um, his work and the body of translations that existed being suitable for what you wanted to do in terms of translation or were you just um, inspired by his poetry itself?
0: Well yeah um, I I admit that I I like his poetry I I feel fascinated by by his poetry, but uh, it was not this reason why uh, um, I, I choose Yang Lian's poetry. As I said, it was more practical reason because there were enough translation to work on, and and also uh, uh, for the very reason. That he was considered uh, a difficult poet so um um yeah i do i do love young uh, Yan's poetry also thank to the work that i uh, I did in this book but uh, um I did not choose him because of, of my uh, preference, um, um, yeah, poetic preference, if you like.
1: Okay. But I think that's actually really um, important and interesting to keep in mind, especially as um, I ask you uh, about the transformation from dissertation to book. And that is, I think, that for many of us, when we're working on our dissertations, um, it's, it's important to keep in mind the kinds of practical considerations that go into choosing a topic based on what we want to explore methodologically, and this is um, a book that, as we'll um, get to in the next um, few minutes, um, it's a book that is not just about young men, as we've mentioned. It's very much about. Um, translation and reading in their relationship more broadly. So can you talk a little bit before we get to these larger issues about that move? Um, How was the process of transforming this from dissertation work um, to a book manuscript for you? Were there any particular challenges or any surprises along the way? Um, Can you talk about that process?
0: Mm. Yeah, well, the process of revision was was very much a collaboration with, uh, as you may uh, um, uh, understand, to, uh, with all the agents that are involved in the publication. So uh, first the publishers first contacted and then the series editors and then the uh, peer reviewers and then the copy editor, the indexer, and so on and so forth. But the, uh, structurally, um, the book is not very decisive from my thesis um, uh, if anything if it, it is just more compact, more cohesive so I only uh, excluded a chapter where um, I tested the, uh, um, the same methodology on other two poets works and I also shortened the analysis given in the appendix considerably and I rewrote uh, um, the introduction and the conclusion so I think these changes uh, um, uh, made the book much more compact, less tedious, if you like, and more focused. Um, the main aim uh, on my side was to elaborate my theoretical propositions on poetry translation and, uh, and its possibilities in, in, in the study of poetry and provide the methodology and present a case study. Um, and and these, I think, um, I could do only if I excluded a lot of um, um, data and, uh, you know, I had to, to, to reduce it from, from the um, 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 PhD dissertation. Please.
1: Now, the book, so that's very helpful to know. So so now let's get into the book itself. The book, um, among other things that it does, addresses a major question, and it addresses it in an innovative way. Namely, how should we think about the relationship between a poem and its translation, between reading and translation, between reading and writing and translation? In order to um, elaborate that relationship or help us explore that relationship and perhaps understand it in a new way, you introduce for us the notion of what you call a chiasmus cross as a methodological tool and this is one of the major methodological um, contributions of the book so can you explain for us what is a chiasmus cross um, and how, is, how does that help us understand
0: translation here in a, as you are proposing it for us Sure. Uh, when, I, when I started reading on poetry translation, my predominant feeling was of disagreement. So, half a century after the establishment of, of translation studies as a discipline, the most common attitude towards translation I could find, uh, a literary translation, and especially uh, poetry translation, uh, um, was and perhaps still is a, a, a negative one or self defeating, depressing, and in my view, really not fully reflecting uh, what the uh, um, experience of translating is. So, although I'm not a naturally confident person, I felt that considering translation as a secondary mood to, to uh, literary creation and, and to focus on, on the so-called losses in translation uh, was not making justice to what I experienced uh, being the process of translating. So I, I, I sided with all those thinkers, uh, many of, of, of them uh, poets, translators, who recognized in translation a, a form of critique on the original, a hermeneutical operation uh, which can uh, reveal some aspects of, of, of the source text. So I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Antoine Berman and Cliff Scott and Walter Walter Benjamin and uh, uh, Ezra Pound and Haroldo uh, de Campos and uh, uh, Jean Bosbeier and um, and 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 others. Uh, um, all these people uh, seem to be uh, attracted uh, by um, the powers of translation and uh, and have, um, uh, often uh, beautifully. Uh, elaborated on this. So I start uh, with a definition of literary text and then I attempt to define what uh, the relationship between a text and its original is. So this I think is is a necessary preliminary step when we want to read translations. So usually this relationship is described as having a a unidirectional movement from the source text to the target text. But if we agree together with most recent theories or uh, semiotics, or all those reader oriented theories such as formalism, post structuralism, and deconstructionism. If we agree with these theories that um, the text is not a fixed entity, but something that needs to be interpreted in order to function as a literary text. Then we can also agree that translation, um, being similar to reading, is also uh, partially responsible of making the text so among the uh, numerous uh, graphical representations of the relationship between um, a text and this translation that we can find in translation studies uh, um, uh, however I could not find one that expressed uh, such a mutual relationship Uh, um, uh, therefore I borrowed from uh, rhetoric the uh, formula of the chiasmus uh, um, a formula that um, is expressed as uh, A stands to B, as B1 stands to A1. Um, um, the crisscross arrangement of, of the chiasmus, indeed, uh, chiasmus is a, 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 a word derived from Greek that means mark with letter X. And, and so the, the the crisscross arrangement and the inversion of the terms in the second half of the equation, I think, make explicit the mutuality of the relationship between source and target text. So, so I mean, we have uh, A stands to B, which means that a source text stands to its translation as B1 stands to A1, that is, as a particular translation, which is B1 or B2 or Bn stands to a1 or a2 or a n. That is the modified source text. So it may sound a bit complicated perhaps, but it is actually quite simple if looked at it as a formula with, with its own graph and, you know. <laughs>
1: Now, this is the notion of the chiasmus cross, which is one um, one of the many methodological innovations in this book. Um, it's We'll see also, as um, I'll say for listeners, um, a little bit later on in our conversation, I think, you don't just present this in the book and leave it at the level of theory. And this is one of the really wonderful things about the book. This is very much, um, for, at least from the perspective that I had as a reader, this is very much about taking um, what can tend in translation studies to be two different fields of work, right? Translation theory and practical translation and bringing them together um, in really productive ways. And so we'll see in a little bit how this notion of the chiasmus cross moves not just from or it moves from the realm of this um, very interesting methodological innovation to very a practical um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: tool that actually helps us read poetry in a new way. So chiasmus cross is one of the innovations. Another one um, that you present with us with here is something that you call triangular comparative analysis. This is really, really interesting. And this has actually changed since reading your book, the way I think about um, what I'm doing when I translate. <laughs> so I'm really interested in this. Um, and I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about this concept for our listeners. What is triangular comparative analysis and, and how does it work for us?
0: Mm. Um uh, the elaboration of, of a triangular comparative analysis responds very much to the need of uh, finding a way to measure the experience of translating. So, you know, uh, it is like when, when we experience the phenomenon of a leaf falling down from a tree which m- we may find beautiful in itself as a phenomenon, but that we... Uh, also, uh, may want to measure the leaf speed, the intensity of its color, the contrasting force of the wind, um, the different behavior determined by its size, or so and so on. So, I wanted to find a way to measure translation, as I enjoyed uh, writing and reading it. So. There are there, uh, many useful models elaborated uh, in, in, in what are, are now known as descriptive translation studies. But um, these are usually models that directly compare target text and source text. Um, because we are dealing with two languages and two cultures and and for some theories also uh, uh, these two universes are not comparable uh, uh, those methodologies that are based on a uh, direct comparison between um, uh, pairs of source and target text are actually considered uh, problematic uh, uh, by, by all those who believe in, in, for example, in linguistic relativity. Uh, um, Not at least because in order to compare um, two different languages, all those methods require a hypothetical ideal third text, um, which um, is meant to function as a a meta-language against which we can compare source and target text. Um, so, uh, drawing from uh, the important work done in descriptive, in descriptive uh, translation studies, um, I revised some of the most useful uh, methodologies and uh, um, I tried to elaborate a method that does not approach translation in a dichotomous way, uh, but instead works in triangulation with two translations and the source text. So. In other words, the the triangular comparative analysis I propose and use in this book uh, does not rely on a direct comparison between the source text and the target text, uh, but on a comparison between different English translations of the source text. So in this way, uh, you you can see that uh, I can engage on on an analysis and description of translation that is on on one single uh, linguistic level that, that one of the target language. So I don't have the theoretical and practical problem of using any meta-language and I don't have the theoretical and practical problem of, of comparing essentially two things that are not comparable. Great. Thank you.
1: Now, there are other um, elements of your uh, methodology that are very important here, but what I'll do is rather than ask them, uh, asking you to explain them now, why don't we move directly into um, the case study or the case studies that you chose to focus on in order to elaborate and illustrate um, these ideas, and in doing so also to give us a really interesting reading of the work of a particular poet. And this is the poet Yang Lian. And I, and I imagine that in the course of our discussing his work, um, other elements of your methodology that are important will come up at, in the course of our conversation. Okay, so let's talk about Young Lian.
0: Mm, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you,
1: you've you already introduced him for us and you use these uh, methodological innovations in the way we think about um, the methodology and the theory of translation to the very practical work of reading young Lance poetry. And the book takes us through examples that illustrate this methodology and what we can gather from it or what we can glean from it. So let's move to this. Um, your analysis in the book takes us through examples of um, at first short selections from Young Lan's work, and then longer selections from his work to bring out through this methodology aspects of his poetics and aspects of um, the way he's creating kind of world in his text that we may not be aware of if we were to adopt a different model of what translation is and how to read according to that model. So, you know, I have a Chinese text here, I'm going to have a dictionary next to me and just produce a translation. That's that's not what we're doing here. And in not doing that, other elements of his poetics emerge that may have been impossible to get at or get at it in the same way otherwise. So your analysis pays particular attention to three notions or three ways of um, engaging important or ways of engaging three important notions, um, that emerge from young lands poetry and that are revealed by this translation focused methodology of reading that you give us. These are the notions of, um, among others, time, space, and subjectivity. So, um, what I'll do is ask you to talk a little bit about, um, about these in turn. So first... Can you talk a little bit for us about the way Younglands poems evoke a particular experience of time um, and sort of how does um, your methodology help us see that? And can you perhaps give us an example?
0: Sure. Um, so, um, first of all, I have to explain a little bit the methodology itself that is based on, on shifts, uh, um, on the concept of shifts that, however, is not, as I said before, um, um, any difference from the sources to the target text, but actually uh, between the two translations. So, um, the anal- an analysis, of the analytical part was very much um, an operation quite repetitive. repetitive. Repetitive operation that involved a a lot of number and counting, like, you know, uh, uh, any discrepancy in a grammatical or lexical element and also at the physical level of the layout. So, uh, but uh, uh, although it was very uh, repetitive and and, and tedious at times, um, at the end, I think, of this uh, uh, meticulous operation, there was a reward. Indeed, uh, um, putting uh, two translations side by side with the source text had the advantage of highlighting uh, to uh, me and to the researcher, I I hope, a a number of turning points uh, where the uh, two translators had taken different paths. Um, so these turning points, uh, uh, basically this, this comparative analysis uh, would uh, show clearly those elements in the source text that had created disagreement uh, between the translators. Um, so uh, I use these shifts not to question the accuracy, of course, of the translation, but uh, only as signals of um, of. Mm-hmm. what I call textual knots uh, in the uh, source text uh, where this disagreement between the two translators uh, took place. So once I started elaborating on these findings... And what these ships said about the way the translators uh, interpreted the original, I realized that they were telling me a huge amount of things about the source text. So I realized that uh, um, they were actually telling a lot of secrets of the original poems. Um, So... um, I think that in, uh, it was in, in this way that uh, I eventually realized that they were telling me something about Yan's poems that was unique to this method of revealing. So, on the basis of, of the corpus that, uh, that I managed to put um, together of these 27 texts, um, so nine poems and two translations uh, per poem, I... I'm, could actually uh, see a sort of map of linguistic uh, devices that were used in the source text and, uh, um, on which I uh, I started to believe that the poetic uh, project uh, uh, may have been based uh, on. So um Um, So as a final step of this methodology, um, um, uh, I used information that I acquired in the uh, analysis and description or translation, uh, and uh, I was able to elaborate on a, a um, larger portion of this poet's uh, uh, work, uh, discussing uh, basically these three units that you are mentioning the, uh, um, of reading Yang Lian's work that, is, uh, that are uh, time, space and subjectivity. Uh, so, okay, uh, um, uh, let's start from the time-space dimension. Um, so let's say that uh, an increased number of uh, um, um, shifts in temporal uh, adverbs and uh, uh, prepositions and conjunctions in translation uh, determine these um, shifts in, in the spatial-temporal uh, setting, and these point to a sort of fluid and abstract a spatial-temporal dimension in the Chinese text. For example, a line is translated by translator A as, um, um, I think, um, as you lean into uh, um, it, the face stiffens, uh, turns to stone and by another translator translator b as stoops low uh, stoops uh, stoops low uh, uh its face uh, uh, petrified so this example um um includes um, there uh, two types of syntax. One that is of subordination, uh, used in translation A, and one of juxtaposition, uh, used in, in translation B, and arguably in the source text. So we if we expand the scope of the investigation from this mini corpus uh, to uh, Yanyan's work we will notice that a, a wide range of uh, different devices are used are used to uh, convey time so the first one is the uh, presentation of uh, poetic scenes uh, by means of juxtaposition and um, as having uh, uh, um, inclinations toward uh, uh, parallelism. Um, so um, we we can find several images uh, or events that are uh, presented as uh, if existing in in parallel time or in a parallel time. Frame. Um, without uh, uh, a distinct uh, development of time um, so there are also uh, um, uh, poems um, in which uh, um, uh, lines describe, describe a quite varied uh, time um, so which the translator uh, may convey uh, by uh, um, let 's say conjugating verbs in, in different tenses, um, uh, but uh, uh, it is um, however clear to me that all the uh, these different tenses do not convey a sort of linear development of the uh, uh, events, instead they appear to be uh, um, analytically independent, so we have yes past, present, and future, uh, but they all coexist in the same sort of time um, uh, dimension. Uh, So uh, um, um, sometimes... a dimension of simultaneity uh, uh, is also patterned um, at a more um, uh, conceptual level or if you want semantic level uh, uh, for example there are um, there the, the might be an equation of, of, of two opposed extremes such as um, mm, die every day or uh, be born every day or for example in, in it is very used in Yanlian the the structure of poem cycles and uh, um, uh, within this uh, poem cycle structure uh, you may have a very complex uh, patterns uh, uh, which deliver some kind of um 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 Time and uh, space dimension. Indeed, uh, once you you move to an exploration of of, um, the prosody or the prosodic choices, uh, you will find that uh, uh, Yanlian's Poetics often develops time as space. Um, To give you uh, uh, some example, uh, there are eight poems uh, entitled... um, uh, Heaven from the collection E and, uh, um, 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 in these eight poems, the expression of time through uh, prosody uh, relies on uh, a numerological system of blank squares. So uh, mm, this logic um, has been uh, um, interpreted by um, a Chinese uh, critic, uh, Nin Feng. Uh, um, um, he says that the lines with no blank squares uh, are active, and uh, uh, so visible or positive, the lines with two blank squares are passive or negative, um, while the lines with uh, uh, one blank square or, um, are, are, are sort of combination. So, but uh, apart from this kind of interpretation, I think it is very visual. Uh, so, I um, um, think this visual, rather than simply acoustic prosody, um, Mm, um, point to a shift from the temporal aesthetic to the poetics of space. So, in other words, um, um, I find I find that in Yan'an's poetics, uh, uh, poetic strategy. Um, um there is a um, um, um an interest to minimize time and materialize it into space um, uh, uh yeah uh, um as for the um uh, subjectivity um it is quite a um, a uh, complex issue because uh, I base my, uh, um, my elaboration on, on this um, um, side of poetics on on, on uh, mainly on um, ships pertaining to um, uh, personal pronouns. Uh, but also, um, uh, we must say that, uh, um, um, just to give an example, uh, uh, there is this concept of uh, language that does not is not subjected uh, uh, to the author's will. So, for example, we have um, Yan Lens calls uh, of this. Notion of uh, the crocodile word um, taken by um, taken from a poem cycle uh, called Mask and Crocodiles. And here we can uh, um, um, clearly see um, that uh, according to this poet, uh, language uh, with all um, its repetitions and uh, references is described as frightening and dangerous uh, for the uh, subjective thoughts of the poet. So. Um, mm, um, uh, for this reason, he talks of himself as a poet, as a liar. Um, so, uh, because uh, um, uh, he sees words as um, that are not subservient to the poet's will and thought, but uh, uh, they may act independently. And this um, is it's like. Um, the cherry on on the cake, really, because um, 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 it links uh, again to the issue of uh, authorial intent. So, um, this um, authorial intent, of course, exists, but. Um, it is not possible nor is it indeed interesting uh, uh, probably for us readers or translators to uh, be sure of uh, not misinterpreting as it is not possible for the author himself to uh, uh, prevent all possibilities of misinterpretation so the author can yes arrange words in the attempt to express her or his um, uh, thoughts, Uh, but then um, there is in the uh, working of language and there is... Mm, uh, always the intervention of the reader uh, with her personal and cultural and literary background which will indeed affect her reading. So, mm, um, um, according to uh, this view of language and uh, uh, poetic language, um, uh, subjectivity is very much a... um, um i'm fixed as well and uh, um this place most of the time um um, um yeah it's, uh, i find it uh, really um interesting um i i'm not sure if that these these conclusions or these uh consideration may may uh have not been uh reached uh, through uh other uh more um uh, classical if you want traditional uh uh means but uh, uh the thing is that um uh by using uh these shifts this this um, uh, methodology I, I managed to to um, look at these aspects of of this po- uh, poetics uh, um, in, in in what I believe uh, is quite um, 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 peculiar of this methodology, yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Kasima. Now There's there's so much about the book that we won't have a chance to talk about. It's it's a really rich study. But one of the things um, before we come to a close here, I wanted to ask you about comes from um, your discussion of uh, subjectivity and, and the author and the issue of authorial intent. This brings to mind the particular circumstance you're writing in, which is one in which the author that you're working on is alive, this is a contemporary poet, Um, and in particular because you emphasize in the book and in various chapters the fact that poems are not just text on a page and you, you really bring to light the importance of the visual and the oral and the performative aspects of a poem it um, makes me wonder, it raises a question uh, with, um, in doing this project, since the author is contemporary and the author is alive, did you have any interaction with the author in preparing this study? Um, and if so uh, what was that experience like for you?
0: Um, yeah, uh, of course I have met Yan-Lian many times for, for research purposes um, at first and also uh, for friendship later on. Uh, um he is really an inspiring and intellectually very agile mind. So uh, it was always a pleasure for me to meet with him. But uh, I've often discussed with him some of my findings. But I have been really careful not to um, uh, have this discussion before having written down my, my readings. Because I didn't want to be... Uh, uh, mm, um, influence, if you like by by his uh, authorial intent, but uh, I, I was very interested in seeing if there was any uh, actual um, um, risk um, yeah if there was any uh, similarity of of uh, reading between uh, my reading and his his own uh, reading of his own poems so um, Um, So, um, as a matter of fact, uh, I I, I don't uh, even know uh, what he thinks about this book, since he he apparently has not yet received his copy, um, which makes me worry. But uh, uh, I'm sure I will find a way to to give uh, um, uh, his copy at some point. But uh, um, I'm very curious to know if he um, sees um, his poetics reflected in my reading. But uh, from my point of view, it's not. Really, uh, the main issue, because uh, as, as, as I have tried to um, articulate, um, um, it's, it's just a method of reading poetry, and so it might be uh, that he does not recognize himself. But uh, um, uh, for some for some elements, I, I, I have uh, proofs that uh, there is quite uh, a striking uh, similarity. Say, yeah.
1: And were there, uh, before we come to a close, were there, mm-hmm. in engaging with Young Lian about your mm-hmm. um, your readings, were there any moments in which you disagreed, um, importantly, and wh- how did you deal with those moments um, in terms of your reading of the text using this methodology?
0: Um, yeah, well, he also agreed with, um, uh, um, with disagreement in the sense that, um, he, he also, uh, understood, understands, uh, reading as, as, a very, uh, personal, very, uh, uh individual act. So, um, you would not, uh, um, be upset if he sees, these poems being uh, totally misinterpreted by, by me or by any other reader indeed, I think that most of his uh, poetry is the uh, focuses on this issue um, of of, the, of being um, um, of, of language being um, escaping his his control uh, but um, um I remember at some point um, um, we uh, have discussed about rhythm, and I was saying that um I've been uh, um, attending uh, uh, some some poetry readings uh, in which he was reading in Chinese and then either um, another poet or the translator or um, an actor even would read uh, um, into English or in Italian, for example. And uh, I was just pointing out that uh, um, this was a further example or um, um, further evidence on how um, how multidimensional uh, a rhythm is um, so that uh, uh, each of these uh, people were reading in a completely different way um, with a completely different rhythm uh, and, uh, and they didn't seem to have any... Um, um, any um, to put any attention on on the on the written text. So uh, perhaps in, at some point there was a full stop or perhaps there was a comma. But nonetheless, when they had to read it a, a, aloud, uh, they would not pay any attention and perform these poems in a in a very personal uh, uh, way. So um, I remember I discussed about this with him and. Uh, um, uh, he was saying that, no, of course, that the way he was reading uh, was uh, totally correspondent to the way the text is on the paper. But actually, I couldn't <laughs> see much correspondence in, in, in some cases, at least. So, uh, the yeah, the, the, the physical layout, uh, uh, which to me uh, would... Um you know guide us towards a certain mm, uh posing or a certain uh, um, um, uh, accelerating some points or, or or slowing down in others uh we're totally uh, uh personally interpreted and and so I think that probably rhythm is one of those cases in which you can you can say uh, um." Mm, uh, it's, 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 it's an evidence for, for personally interpreting uh, uh, reading uh, um, of the poem.
1: Well, Kusama, thank you so much for making time um, to talk with us today. There's so much in the book that we didn't have a chance to talk about. Um, it's a very rich study, but is there anything in particular that we didn't cover but that you'd like to point out for listeners, especially listeners who may not yet have had a chance to read it since the book just came out um, very recently?
0: Um no thanks I think um, you give me uh, enough space um um I just hope that the reader will find it useful somehow and um yeah mm, that's it <laughs>
1: so, so now that the book is out and again con- and congratulations um if I haven't said that already on the book it's a wonderful book what's next for you what projects are you working on or what's um what project is inspiring you right now
0: um, my future research uh, um, most probably will concentrate on on two main uh, uh, lines of inquiry uh, which I have already started. One would uh, be constituted by transnational literature uh, through uh, um, the study of bilingual and sinophone literature. Uh, I have already started working on Chinese and English bilingual poetry in London, and I've also worked on poetry from Macau uh, and the ways in which these, these uh, works uh, may question certain well-established theoretical uh, proposition in postcolonial world literature. But another uh, uh, main line of inquiry um, concerns poetry performativity in particular, Particular uh, the integration from the mid 1990s onward of visual audio and performing arts component uh, into the uh, um, Chinese poetic text, so I would like to continue engaging with this kind of poetry uh, um, a drawing um, on, on the research I've already uh, um, published and, and uh, um, integrating with, with some material that I collected in, in my uh, field works in China. I, I, really, I really hope that I will manage to do something that in these two directions.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Kosima It's been a pleasure and um, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you very much, Carla. You've been listening to New Books in East Asian Studies. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.